0: Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. So just what is a risk-based training program? That's a question that's come up recently a couple of different times and I've had some conversations about, so I thought it would be a good topic for us to discuss today. But before we jump in, uh, for the last time, I'm going to plug the Updating Your Code of Conduct Best Practices webinar I'm doing with the Clear Law Institute tomorrow, February 28th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. We're going to be talking about how you review your code of conduct, what the expectations are, some strategies for uh, tackling a code of conduct revision project. I try to make it uh, as practical as possible and give you real uh, ideas about how to go about these uh, type of projects so please please uh, join us if you can you can go to clearlawinstitute.com and search my last name or updating your code of conduct and get the information but i'll also will put the information, uh, the web link in the show notes for this podcast. And as always, uh, please, if you haven't subscribed to Compliance Beat, we'd sure love it if you would. Um, If you have any kind of feedback for us, comments, suggestions for future podcasts, we're always interested in what our dear listeners uh, are interested in and, and want to make sure to provide some commentary, some insight, Uh, And some information about the topics that you're most interested in though and as I said the one that I'm uh, going to be speaking about today and that's risk-based compliance training is uh, a topic that's come up quite a bit recently and I think again um, we're still we're almost through uh, the the getting into the 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 last part of the first quarter of the year Uh, people are planning to roll out uh, uh, new initiatives including training initiatives here I think it's fairly common for those things to come out early summer or uh, in the fall Um, you know people try to avoid high summer so uh, if you're going to roll out your training uh, in the first half of the year you're trying to do it pretty quickly uh, to avoid those summertime months uh, so I think it's uh, topical to talk about uh, training, and it's uh, also topical to talk about uh, risk-based training. Uh, risk-based training—where uh, does that come from? Well, the uh, the Department of Justice, in particular, has talked about uh, having a risk-based compliance program generally for several years now, and many of their informal Uh, commentaries in settlement agreements, DPAs, NPAs, that sort of thing. Uh, And then probably most frequently, uh, recently, we cite to the 2017 uh, memoranda that came out of the fraud section. Uh, the link will be here in the show notes if you haven't already seen it. Uh, the, the famous checklist that's not a checklist. Uh, there's a whole section on training and communication in that document and I think I have done prior podcasts where I kind of go through rather quickly and talk about the different sections and I thought it was probably time to come back and talk not only about the, uh, the memo and uh, part six which is training and communication a little bit more uh, specifically but also just generally talk about best practices around uh, what risk-based training might be and what the expectations might be. Uh, As I am want to do in these short podcasts I've narrowed it down to three kind of uh, salient topics to make it uh, easily digestible uh, in a short podcast but uh, there's certainly a lot more to putting together a training program than what I'm going to talk about today and we'll revisit it in the future, but I think there are three things in particular that jump out uh, when you're talking about a risk-based training program versus uh, what I'll call for the purposes of this podcast, the traditional um, training programs that we've done for compliance in the past. Uh, The first is this focus on having a tailored program, and that's the uh, term that's used in the guidance uh, what training have employees in relevant control functions received, and has the company provided tailored training for high risk r- risk and control employees that address those risks? Uh, so tailored uh, to me, and uh, I, I think it's not uh, specifically defined here, but I think what the expectation around tailored is is that it uh, the training that is provided actually addresses the function of the employee that's being trained, their role, the risks they specifically face. Um, In other words, uh, they're looking to ensure that specific risk topic training is being provided to those uh, employees and stakeholders that are on the front lines and facing those particular risks. Uh, A lot of the guidance uh, coming out of the fraud section, in particular this document, um, shows the fingerprints of settlements around anti-corruption. There's a lot of information in this guidance in particular that is uh, Tailored, if you will, uh, to to anti-corruption, and so I think uh, that's a good example, and probably the example that was in mind of uh, with the authors of the document when they were thinking about what that might mean. And uh, you know, in the context of anti-corruption, that means uh, finding people who are on the front lines dealing with. Uh, either agents or third parties that are dealing with government officials or who are directly dealing with government officials. I think that's a, a perfect example, but it includes a much, much wider group of individuals when you're thinking about tailoring particular risk topic training. In uh, anti-corruption, again, as an example, that's going to include uh, people in the accounting department, uh, the people that you would expect would uh, be have to be on the alert to look for red flags in uh, for instance, uh, receipts or, or, or uh, expense reports and that sort of thing. So uh, tailoring for the role, uh, tailoring for the risks faced. Uh, I think tailoring also, though, uh, for uh, the, um, uh, the other characteristics, the other demographic characteristics of your employees, uh, the most obvious one being language. Uh, You don't want to be training a population that's not proficient in English uh, with your standard uh, English uh, uh, training on a particular topic. Um, You also need to make sure, uh, I think tailoring also needs to take into account uh, their educational background of of the particular person or stakeholder that you're trying to train. Uh, and, and then lastly, something that we've been thinking about over the last few years, and I think it fits into this notion of tailoring, is that uh, several, uh, several organizations now have a very diverse uh, group of employees based on their generation and how they learn, and how, or at least how we expect they learn and what their expectations around learning might be. Uh, we've talked before on this podcast and elsewhere uh, about the trend towards gamification uh, in online training. Uh, we just had a podcast a couple of weeks ago with uh, where we talked about that. Uh, and, uh, you know, shortening up uh, the, the length of individual topic training. That's something that has uh, definitely been a trend over the last few years. Um, I think, you know, really concentrating on what the messaging is uh, and who you're trying to reach, is really what this all boils down to. Um, there's a feeling out there, and I, I, I don't uh, necessarily subscribe one way or the other, that uh, training millennials is, is a different kettle of uh, fish than training somebody in my generation, Generation X, or baby boomers. Um, that may affect length, that may affect uh, concepts such as gamification, it's certainly gonna affect content, Uh, but it might affect things like tone. How do you speak uh, to different segments of your population? So when we're talking about tailoring, I think it's more than just, okay, what's your role and what are the risks you face? Okay, well, we're gonna make sure you have uh, X, Y, and Z risks covered in your training because those are the risks you face. It's also looking at how that information is being presented, uh, the length, uh, the tone, the type of content. Uh, whether it uh, is more interactive or less interactive. Those are all things that I think fall under this um, uh, uh, under this concept of tailoring, and I think it's something that you need to be thinking about uh, when you're putting together a risk-based training program. The second thing that's, that jumps out at me, and this comes out of uh, the guidance from last February, but also uh, I think it just makes sense, and that's uh, focusing on the process both on the front-end and the back-end. Well, We're already talking to a great extent about the process on the front-end, considering who your audience is and trying to tailor that training. Well, the process on the front-end is also going to be the logistics uh, of, of getting the training out there to the population. Um, that's relatively simple if everybody is on the network and you can just uh, get them uh, through their single, their fancy single sign-on right onto the system, and you know they go right into the LMS and take their training. You know that's done. And done and done, right? Uh, well, you know, for many organizations, and I would venture to guess most organizations, there's going to be some exceptions to that. And some of those exceptions are going to be significant subs- uh, exceptions uh, of populations that are not online or mobile populations. Uh, right here, I'm sitting in uh, in the middle of the state of Texas. Uh, and, you know, the uh, many, many employees and, um, and co- contractors and other stakeholders that need to be trained on uh, issues such as safety uh, out in the oil patch south of here in Eagleford Shale, uh, for example, uh, are, are not people that are going to be sitting down at a computer anytime soon to take uh, your online training. Um, maybe you can reach them on a mobile device, but maybe you also need to be trying to reach them uh, with with some sort of live training or or, or manager-led training. Uh, so process about how people get trained on the front end is something that um, there's more of a focus on and while this was a logistical issue and something that compliance officers have been dealing with for a long time you need to be prepared to show your work on that process these days uh, the the inquiry from a regulator such as the Department of Justice in the future around training is not just going to be simply have you trained people? Do you have a training program? They're going to want to dig into the, the the weeds a little bit, and they're going to see what your process is. They're going to be asking questions about how you've tailored uh, the training, but also how you've implemented it. So process on the front end. Second half of this second piece is process on the back end. The other thing that there's going to be a significant inquiry about is effectiveness. They're not going to accept uh, your um, uh, having trained uh, a, a percentage of the population, whether that's 90 percent or 99.9 percent or whatever it is, uh, as as a uh, indication necessarily of the effectiveness of that training. Uh, just to give you an example, if you look again at the guidance that came out in February uh, under Subtopic 6, Training and Communication, they make it real clear. Uh, under the second bullet, it says, how has the company measured the effectiveness of training? They're going to make that inquiry, they're going to want to know how you've measured the effectiveness of the training that you've conducted, and so you need to be prepared to have a salient answer to that. So process on the front and process on the back, that's the second thing you need to think about. The third thing I wanted to talk a little bit about is uh, related to the first two, and related to uh, generally constructing and and then later evaluating a risk-based training program, and that's data. That's getting uh, uh, data points that allow you to make judgments about the risk involved in your training program. And the effectiveness thereof. Uh, you don't get there. You don't have a risk based program unless you use data. And this is a, a big failing of many, many training programs traditionally. Things are changing and things are changing rapidly. And almost all of the major uh, training providers, third party training prov- providers that are out there, are, are now providing a lot more data uh, so that you can make those evaluations both on the front end and the back end. Uh, but uh, there's still a significant number of organizations out there who really the only data point that you that they capture about their training is completion rate now I want to be clear I don't think uh, completion rate is uh, an important uh, number to keep track of and you certainly certainly gives you a sense of how effective your um uh, mobilization and coverage uh, of getting the training out there and returned is so it's it's a it's a metric but it's not the only metric that's out there the expectation is that you're going to be gathering more data about uh, how quickly uh, for example uh, d- differing employees uh, complete a certain part of the the training uh, most training these days or many training packages these days have queries not just at the end but throughout the, the training process to gauge uh understanding and retention. So you're going to have many more metrics around understanding and retention uh than you would have had traditionally 10, 15 years ago. That's, I think, uh, a, a much better window on whether the training is effective. Um, many organizations, and we've talked about this in in past podcasts and other and other times, uh uh, many organizations are going back outside of the time they have trained on a particular topic uh, and and doing what I typically call knowledge assessment uh, and finding out uh, how retention uh, has fared longer term. A perfect example here would be if you're training, let's say, on a quarterly basis with different modules on different topics. In Q1, maybe you train on anti-corruption. Uh, and you have testing throughout that uh, module that gauges the retention at the time. And then uh, say uh, in Q2, you train on harassment. Well, maybe you throw in a few questions uh, during that training session on that module around anti-corruption uh, to that population that received the training in Q1 uh, to see what their retention is. So you're checking them three months down the road uh, while you're you know, having a touch point with them on another training topic. Uh, about their retention from from the training <coughs> that, that occurred three months earlier uh, I think if you're trying to gauge effectiveness uh, you have to you have to have some data and you have to uh... be able to test uh... you know the most valuable data about effectiveness of training i think is 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 getting it from uh... the population Um and, and, and that might also be things like uh... holding focus groups or doing <coughs> excuse me doing uh independent surveys at different times not only about the the knowledge retention the, the, the their 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 um, uh retention of of the information that you provided but also their perspective about the training was the training too long was the training uh, helpful. Did did you did you find the 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 mode by which you were trained to be uh, efficient? Uh, you can ask questions around efficiency and um, sort of soft questions about their perceptions of the training. Uh, that, that's going to help you uh, further refine and build. Uh, a, a more effective training solution in the future so um, querying the 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 population that you're training both on their knowledge and on their perceptions around the training process itself can be invaluable and that's the kind of data that I think you need to be collecting and that it, there's going to be an expectation that you're going to collect so those are three things uh, I think they're 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 pretty uh, pretty straightforward and Pretty consistent uh, pillars that you're going to have to have to uh, prove up ha- uh, a, a risk-based training program for for compliance. If there was ever a question about it, last thing I'll say about that is I think you need to be prepared to answer those questions. Um, this is another thing that I talked about recently with the with the client when we were discussing this. Is uh, just as you have a, uh, a a program in place for um, business continuity, should something happen. I think you need to uh, have thought about these questions beforehand and have the data ready to go uh, to, to answer questions that the board of directors might have or that uh, uh, other internal stakeholders might have or certainly external stakeholders that you know want to make queries about how you're training your population on these important risk topics. So I, I, wouldn't, I would say that it's something that you want to regularly c- collect. You want to have your process that we talked about documented. You want to sh- be able to show how you've tailored uh, your your program, and you want to be able to uh, have the data that you've collected that that helps prove up effectiveness ready at the hand at any time to to provide. So I hope that's helpful. Um, I think we're. Uh, uh, probably going to be talking more and more about training. Uh, This is a fast-moving target. Things are changing quite a bit. Um, Just in the four or five years uh, since I joined uh, the prior training organization that I used to work for, uh, the the universe has turned over. Um, The kind of training that uh, was you know, standard best practices for compliance five years ago is, is worlds away different these days. And, and, I, and I expect it's going to continue to change. And we're going to continue to see, see this kind of blurring of the lines between formal training and informal communication, which I think is a good thing because it makes it more likely that we're focusing on both, which we need to do. Um, so until next time, uh, please, uh, as I said, subscribe to the podcast. Get in touch with us if you have any questions or comments. Uh, please join us tomorrow uh, if you're available and you need to get some CLE or CBB credits uh, at the clear law Institute. We're going to be talking about code of conduct. And we're going to have some other interesting things that we're going to be announcing here in the next few weeks. Uh, so stay tuned. And thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.